Scripture reading is coming from Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Thank you, and good evening. Um, I'm here tonight as part three of our three-part series on sacrifice, so uh, I want to start by saying I'm grateful for that opportunity, not just to uh, speak this evening, but also to work alongside Harold and Craig um, it's, it's always good to, to put in the preparation to come up with a lesson, but then to also work together and collaborate and uh, sort of plant seeds for each other and pick up where each other left off is, I think, even a greater effort in that regard. So uh, that's been a really neat experience, and I've really enjoyed doing that, and uh, I'm glad I get to share that with you this evening. Um, a quick review. Uh, part one was just sort of an overview that Harold gave of the sacrificial system in general, um, and how sacrifice was first introduced under the Levitical system of the Old Testament, uh, the design being that sacrifice was God's way of restoring man to himself in this broken relationship. Um, and of course, this is not something that we can do on our own. It's something that requires God's provision through the offerings of sacrifice. And also it requires in sacrifice that something has to die because that is the punishment for sin. The wages of sin is death. And uh, God can't just overlook our sin, as Harold pointed out previously, because it wouldn't be in accordance with his nature. His nature is that he is a just God and he is a fair God, and he can't just look the other way. He has to, to be true to that nature. So sacrifice is how God has sought to overcome that and, and bring us back in alignment with him. Um, Harold went on about some of the different details of sacrifice, the five different types, all of the different rules, he, he hit the highlights of those, of how everything was so precise as to what you wear and, and how you approach each sacrifice. And also the two main purposes of sacrifice being um, thanksgiving and atonement. And then Craig continued that by um, picking up on the sacrifice of Christ and ultimately how, how the whole Levitical system points to the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, and this is important one, because when Christ came and, and sacrificed himself and, and how precise that was, the people would have had the understanding of the Levitical system, having been under it for so long. So they would have known what it was like to give something up in the name of sacrifice. And they, they would have related to that. But then to go the step that Christ went and, and give your whole self up in the name of sacrifice for someone else, as Craig pointed out, sacrifice becoming this about someone other than yourself. Um, that would have really, really uh, rung true and deep with them. But uh, the irony of Christ's sacrifice, of course, is that he was the only person that ever walked this earth that did not, in fact, need that sacrifice. The only man to be here and be without sin, and yet he was the only man that could be that sacrifice for everyone else. So in that, he fulfills this sort of greater plan, the plan of God that seeks to bring man back into full relationship with himself, not just the partial relationship. 
So he completes this heavenly plan, replacing the old sacrificial system with the new covenant. Uh, he carries out his earthly mission, which is, is to die for each and every one of us so that we might be free from sin. And then he creates this opportunity that we all can be spiritually restored and transformed into the nature of God. And this is not a restoration that we can gain through works or acts, but one that comes through faith and, and lacks in nothing. So tonight we come to a close in this series with the concept of living sacrifice. And this is when we get down to the nuts and bolts, how we participate in this sacrificial system. So this system has been brought to completion in Christ, but it is still necessary for each and every one of us to be a part of that same system. And we come to Romans 1, 12, verses 1 and 2, to really understand that in depth. And it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be condemned to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So this is very applicable, not just because it picks up on the term living sacrifice, but in, in this point in the book of Romans, Paul is, has spent the entire 11 chapters leading up to this sort of giving a comprehensive overview to the Romans of the gospel, uh, really hitting home the point that we all need it and that we can't do it on our own, that it has to come from, from something greater than us, that we have to receive it through faith, and that it, the gospel is what ultimately grants us all justification and sanctification and righteousness. Um, all things that we seek in many different ways in this world, but will never really truly come to earn on our own. So after really expounding on each one of these concepts in death, depth, Paul gets to this point in Romans 12 verse 1 and says, I appeal to you therefore brothers. And this appeal, um, the word behind this means I urge you and exhort you, but really I come beside you and tell you boldly. Uh, I call you from close beside. And then he says, therefore, which is a conclusion. It's based on the conclusion of everything that has led up to this moment for him, the whole teaching of the gospel. Um, it's sort of this based on the shared understanding that we now have of the gospel, of who Christ was and of what he did for us. This is to be our response. And then he throws the word brothers in there, and it's kind of reinforcing this idea that we're all still in this together. Like he's not just instructing us to go do something he wouldn't do. He's coming close beside of us. Uh, he's part of the same faith, the same belief system that we are operating in the same manner. Um, essentially, Paul is kind of leveraging a personal relationship here, which is something that you would only really do under two circumstances. You really only use a personal relationship in this way if you really truly believe something is best or you really want to get something out of somebody else. But then all the concepts Paul's talking about are not really self-rewarding, so it wouldn't make sense if he's just trying to manipulate these people. It must be that he deeply and sincerely believes what he's speaking about. Um, teaching the gospel 
in the depth that he does already creates a lot of tension between him and the Romans because he has to point out things through the gospel that they're not going to want to hear. That's, we all have to face things that we don't want to hear when we come into contact with the gospel. And he has to kind of be the voice that, that speaks that to the people. And then for them to really sit and learn it from him, it not only creates this tension in a relationship, but allowing the teaching to come in creates this sort of richness and this depth. Just the same way like when you have a close friend who tells you something that you really don't want to hear, but you know is for your best interest. Uh, the kind of friend that will actually tell you how you look that day and not just pretend like you look awesome just to make you feel better. Uh, they tell you because they think that you should, you really have the right to know, and that's what's going to be best for you. So he's he's leveraging this because not only does it mean a lot to him personally, but he understands that this is what the people need. So the next three phrases that we run into uh, sort of cast an overview of what we've already talked about the the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, and we'll go through them piece by piece in a second, but it says, By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So by the mercies of God relates directly to the heavenly plan that God has put into place, that Christ would come through God's mercy. And then present your bodies a living sacrifice, just as Christ did so in his earthly mission, which was to come and die. Here we can now participate in that as well holy and acceptable to God. This speaks to the spiritual restoration and the nature of that, which is to be set apart. These are reminders for us, for the people of Romans, that we are participating in the same act that Christ did, that we're taking part in that same thing. So by the mercies of God, um, in both of the places where God is referred to here in this small chunk of text, it's, it's really a word that means the one true God, the creator of the universe. So that's, uh, that probably goes without saying, but it's always good to say it anyway. So that's kind of the specific name that, that Paul uses for God. But mercies refers to this visceral compassion, which is like when you look at somebody else who's in a tough situation and you just feel that knot in your gut, like you really want to do something about it, like you feel very motivated or very pulled to their situation. That is the kind of mercy that God is looking at us with. He fully understands our situation and what we're caught in, and he feels that kind of tension, that deep-rooted tension that has this sort of physiological effect. And, and that's to say how deeply he cares and how much he wishes to provide for us. Um, and, and so this is the concept that we understand of how God sees us. And then it says, present your bodies. So again, the word present here has this sort of close, intimate feel. Um, it's coming close beside and standing ready to be seen, standing ready to give a presentation of who you are. And the word bodies is unique for Paul to use in this context because the Greeks and Romans would have thought that kind of peculiar, like the body is really not all that important to them. They think that the soul and the spirit is everything, and the body is just kind of be to dis be disregarded. Um, but essentially, this sacrifice is one that demands our entire being, not just spirit alone. It was also common for a lot of Eastern religions in that day to 
focus solely on contemplation. And the goal was to sort of contemplate your way outside of the body to think so mystically that you could, in a sense, leave this body behind and transcend this life, which we understand now is not a goal that we can fulfill on our own humanly. Uh, But the body is important, not just because it was created by God and in his image, but because the body is how the soul interacts with the rest of the world and the world around it, not just in a health standpoint, but in a behavioral standpoint, like whatever action you carry out in this life, you carry out with your physical body. So in a sense, Paul is saying it takes your whole self to be this living sacrifice. You don't just get to sit and quietly think about it and mull it over. It's it's the kind of thing that when you present yourself, you're presenting your whole self, not just the, the good thoughts that you might have, but how you interact with people. And all of that is to come to pass in this sacrifice. And the word present also has this uh, specific verb tense, which means that it happens once, but also happens continually. So it's not the kind of thing that it's one and done. It's ongoing over and over again. We're presenting our whole selves to be fully and intimately seen. And then the word, the uh, phrase living sacrifice is intentionally paradoxical because sacrifice um, means a blood killing. The, the word here even specifically means a blood killing. And uh, the purpose behind this sacrifice is sort of in line with the purposes we've seen, but also different than anything we've seen in sacrifices in the past, because the purpose here ultimately is so that we might live, um, not just to give something up, but really to fully become alive. And that's unique because sacrifice in the past has just been this offering that we do for thanksgiving or atonement. But here, in this context, we know that we can't reach atonement on our own. That had to be given to us through Christ. Atonement is not something we can achieve. So the living sacrifice then is the offering that we give to become fully alive in who Christ is. Ultimately, it speaks to the trust that something greater than us has our best interest at heart and also the realization that we don't always know what's best for our own life and right now in our time that's not a really popular idea we have a lot of phrases that support this like you do you or just have it your way or all of these sort of self-fulfilling statements but ultimately we each have to face the reality that we don't always know what's best for us. Sometimes we have to rely on something greater than us to really have the foresight, the knowledge, and and the truth that it takes to get us where we want to be. Uh, And then the holy and acceptable, of course, describe the nature of this sacrifice. So holy meaning set apart. Um, Essentially, this sacrifice is done with a specific intention in mind that is predetermined. It's also done for something that's more than ourselves because this is a sacrifice made not because of us, but because of what we have been given. Um, And then it's acceptable, which means well-pleasing, because it is fully acceptable to God. So never before has a sacrifice of man ever been able to be fully accepting to God. He's never been able to look on that with complete and full favor because it's always been imperfect until Jesus came and offered a sacrifice. 
So now the living sacrifice that we make can be seen as God or by God as completely fulfilling because just as the priests came clothed in specific garments in the Old Testament, we come before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He sees us as he would see his own son. And then it says that this is your spiritual worship. Uh, The word spiritual here kind of threw me when I really invested into what it meant because essentially it means logical because divinely reasonable, um, which is confusing, but, uh, but that basically means that it's logic that operates on a higher order than what we could come up with on our own. Like we as people have the capacity to think logically and rationally, but most of the time we do so in a way that serves ourselves. Like I can think of how to work enough hours to get enough money to get what I want, but all of that is still in service to me. The spiritual nature of this sacrifice is one that requires a logic beyond what we could humanly come up with. But ultimately, the worship here, which is simply put service, um, the spiritual worship or logical service is one that makes sense when you view it through God's eyes. Uh, This is ultimately the only thing that we could ever do to give back to God because of what he's given us, to fully turn our, our life over to him. So it's, it's logical, but it's rooted in a divine reason or a divine motive. It's, it's sort of procured in that way rather than rational thoughts that ultimately have to do with self. So that's, that's what spiritual means here in that context. So that, that's essentially what we're looking at when we're dealing with this living sacrifice is this offering that we're given not so that we can become approved by God, but so that because we have realized exactly what God has given up for us, um, understanding how specific the requirements were in the Old Testament for the offering that you were supposed to bring based on the offense or the sin or what sacrifice you were trying to perform, it would be a different animal or grain offering, it would be the first of your fruit, it would be the best that you had, and all of that, is, it still pales in comparison to what Christ offered for us. And when we really let that sink in, into who we are, and how we walk throughout this world, then, then this is the only thing we can do, is to say, God, if you were willing to do that for me, then I, I trust you fully. I give myself to you. I'm going to stop seizing control of my life. My life is yours to run and to direct as you would. So after really hitting that point home, Paul kind of continues with this phrase, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And this is like a reminder um, in preparation of what it's going to be like to go through this process of becoming a living sacrifice. Because this is going to be extremely vulnerable Uh, It's going to take a lot, and it's going to require everything of us. And whenever we're in a vulnerable spot like this, we always put ourselves in a situation in which we become highly suggestible. And this is a good thing because that's the only way we're actually going to take on something more than ourselves and let something else in is, is to allow certain suggestions 
to come in and, and impact our life and who we are. But it's important that we're carefully filtering which things we allow in and which things we keep out in this period of sort of heightened suggestibility or vulnerability as we're or as trying to turn our life over to God and release control. Uh, being conformed in this way essentially means to be easily identifiable based on your outward characteristics or form. And that form is then assumed to come from the pattern of whatever it mimics. So he's saying, don't look like the people of the world because you have adopted the patterns of the world, that you've adopted the value system that the world has to offer. Don't let that in and don't let that dictate your outward appearance, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And this renewal is a complete renovation in which every change that's made is made for the better, is made for the ultimate good. And your mind, in this sense, is essentially your, your capacity to think, uh, which is given to you by God, but more so it's your, it's your capacity to hold truth and to think self-reflectively. Um, there are many different organisms that can think in the world, but human beings are the only ones that can think about the way that we think. So that's kind of what the mind is speaking to, the thinking about how we think and how we live and the reflection of that. And that is to be renewed in order for us to be transformed. And, and transformation, the word for that means essentially metamorphosis, which is meta being change with and morphosis being in a way that's in keeping with your inward state. So it makes sense then that renovating and renewing our mind is how we become transformed because it happens inwardly first. We empty ourselves, we commit ourselves to this process of becoming a sacrifice. We seek to be renewed and restored and brought into closer union with God, into a better understanding of God's truth. And when this happens on the inside, the outside, the transformation process simply happens to keep up with that. It's when your inward reality changes, your outward form changes to match that so that it is an accurate representation of your inner being. So that's the reminder here as we go throughout this process of being a living sacrifice is to be self-reflective and recognize that we're not to be in appearance or in the same value system of the world, of the people of this time and this age who allow themselves to be controlled by whatever is new or whatever is popular or whatever seems reasonable to them at the time. But instead, we're supposed to constantly be reflecting and allowing God's truth to sink in, to speak into our life, and to dictate the transformation process by simply changing who we are inwardly and letting that show through outwardly through our actions, through our behaviors, through our engagement with the people around us, Christian and non-Christian. So as we, uh, as we come to this point tonight where we're thinking about this step of becoming a living sacrifice, uh, we're kind of considering how do we participate in this age-old sacrificial system that's not only set in the Old Testament times, but then completed over 2,000 years ago in the person of Christ. And yet it's still relevant to us today, not just to understand the depth behind it and the thoughtfulness behind it, but also to understand our participation in it.
And this participation is not the kind of thing that can earn God's approval or can gain our own atonement before God because that's already been provided to us. The whole point is so that we would understand that's not something we can do on our own. The, our participation then is the acceptance of that approval, of that atonement offering in the Lamb of God, and uh, to respond out of this understanding of what just exactly what it costs God to pay that price for us, to know what the price was because of our own actions in the first place, but then to know what God gave up to cover that cost. Uh, this is an offering back to God, not out of our debt, not out of our poverty, but out of our gratitude, out of our appreciation, out of our whole heart that truly seeks to be closer in union with him. So if you're here tonight and you are considering this concept of living sacrifice or it's something that you have known before but you feel like somewhere along the way you stopped this process that should be continual for all of us somewhere you maybe just interrupted or stopped, then take this opportunity to put yourself back on the altar or to put yourself there in the first place. And if that's your wish here tonight, then come forward as we stand and sing. Only son, no sin too high, but you have sent him from your side.